From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. The biggest story locally last week was the announcement that Dallas's K. Bailey Hutchison Convention Center would be used as temporary housing for unaccompanied migrant teens seeking asylum. To discuss the developments, Julie Fine and Gromer Jeffers are joined by former Republican Congressman Will Hurd, who represented a large swath of the Texas-Mexico border for six years, and Dallas immigration attorney Josh Turin. Plus, Julie talks to U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo about the COVID-19 relief package recently signed into law. But we start with immigration. The first 200 teens seeking asylum arrived at Dallas's convention center Wednesday night. The facility is being used as an emergency intake site due to crowding in border facilities and can house up to 3,000. HHS said the children will either eventually be released to a sponsor or transferred to an appropriate ORR shelter for longer-term care. Will Hurd represented Texas's 23rd congressional district for three terms. The district runs along the Texas border from near Eagle Pass all the way to El Paso. Here's the former congressman with Julian Gromer. Well, we always appreciate having you. You represented the border and you've been involved in border and immigration issues. What is the best way to move forward? Well, the best way to move forward is, is first, the Biden administration needs to select a special representative for the Northern Triangle, Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras. We need someone who can focus all the federal resources in that region uh, to address the root causes, which is violence, lack of economic opportunity, and, and extreme poverty. Uh, we need to have long-term programs in those areas to address those causes that is forcing people to come back here or, or, to, or pulling people towards the United States. We also need that special representative working with U.S. intelligence services and the local federal law enforcement folks on the ground there to address these cartel human smugglers. These are people that are taking advantage of a situation and taking the money of, of, these, of these people. Uh, that, that should be a first step. And like President Bush said in, in, in your lead up to this conversation, uh, we need to have some thoughtful conversations on how to address asylum laws in the United States. These, are, these were written in the 80s. Not everybody qualifies for asylum. We need to streamline legal immigration um, and, and have it be market-based. Uh, we can tell what industries need additional workers. Uh, we should be able to say, hey, if you need more ag workers in Texas one month, we should be able to increase those visas. If we need people in the retail sector in Florida, we should be able to increase those, those that visa count. Those are things that can be done um, right now. And, and then we need to continue to ensure that men and women in Border Patrol have the resources that they need. And I hope we can do what, what President Bush said and, and remove politics from this because eventually, ultimately, you know, both sides like to use this issue of immigration as a political bludgeon uh, against the other side, which is one of the reasons why uh, we've been dealing with this um, issue for multiple administrations. Yeah, Representative, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the politics of it because many Republicans are, are blaming the Biden administration for and its policies for the surge. And of course, some Democrats say former President Trump it's left a broken immigration system. So how do you move forward with a bipartisan solution, a legislative solution that's bipartisan? Is it possible? It's going to be difficult. We, we saw that on Capitol Hill this week, the two um, immigration pieces of legislation that uh, Speaker Pelosi put forward um, has is not going to get to President Biden's desk, even though Democrats hold um, the, the Senate. And those were bills that weren't trying to be negotiated 
in, in a bipartisan way. And look, some of the rhetoric of the Biden administration is creating a part of this pull factor. Um, you should say that we do not tolerate illegal immigration. Um, that's unacceptable. Um, some of the folks in his administration are, are not being clear on that. I think the previous Trump administration should have taken more steps to address resources we need um, to handle uh, unaccompanied children. Rule number one, if you have children in your custody, treat them like they're your own kids. Uh, the resources aren't there. The, the Border Patrol facilities were designed to hold people for hours, not for days. But we also need to make sure that we're that the, the, the host countries where these folks are coming from reopen what were called welcome centers back in 2017, where we can send these children so they can get connected with their families back home. Uh, those folks are, are better. Those those governments are better equipped to find you know the proper proper family members so that we ensure that these kids are getting into into safe places um, rather than potentially handing them over to people that we don't know anything about. Congressman, you met, you talked about kids, and in Dallas, teens who came here without an adult are being housed at the K. Bailey Hutchinson Convention Center. What's the best solution for these kids? Uh, the best solution for these kids is is get them as quickly to a family member, and sometimes that means going back to their, their countries where they came from. Um, though, when I in, in 2017 at the last you know the, the last crisis we saw similar to this. Um, I spent time in, in El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, and they had these things called welcome centers. And, and over a period of, of several months, I, I, think it, I, I think it was El Salvador, uh, you had about 90,000 people, uh, many of those uh, children, that were repatriated back to that country. And I asked, how many did you not find um, homes for or to find a family member for? And the answer was zero. And so the countries are, are equipped to make sure that they're giving those families and individuals the resources those countries have um, in order to deal with this. But if you have a kid in our custody, uh, let's make sure we're taking care of them properly. But it's going to be hard because we're being overwhelmed with the number of folks that are coming, which is why we got to address those, those root causes. This is a super complicated problem, but it was, it's not a problem that we couldn't foresee. We've seen this happen many times, and when it's happened before, we haven't prepared for it. And, and some would say this is a black swan event. And, and, you know, guess what? The only thing I know about black swan, these, these terrible events that people don't think happen, they, all they do is actually happen. And we should have been prepared for this. Um, and unfortunately, we weren't. Uh, now, Congressman, uh, you uh, mentioned this earlier, but what role should the, uh, the U.S. play in stabilizing the situation in other parts of the world? Because that seems, seems to be the root of the problem here. It 100% is the problem. We need a, a Marshall Plan for for the Northern Triangle and, and the rest of, of Central America. And, and the Marshall Plan is what helped rebuild Europe after World War II. We need something of a, a similar. And this idea of a special representative for the Northern Triangle, someone who can start developing that. Um, there, there have been a number of, of organizations that have worked on this. Um, there at in, in, in Dallas at SMU University at the Bush Institute, uh, they've worked on some economic plans on how to stabilize this region. And oftentimes, people want to be critical of foreign aid, but foreign aid is a fraction of the federal budget, and it, and it's, and to solve the problem there before it gets to our borders will be a fraction of the cost as well. And so, so that's why you know having some of that foreign aid 
and, and making sure it's going to the right organizations, which is why we need a strong State Department, we need a strong USAID in order to uh, address those root causes. And it's something, had we been paying attention to this for the last 10, 20 years, we wouldn't be in the situation that we are in now. Oh, and by the way, when you stabilize those countries, improve those economies, that's a better trading partner for the United States. So it increases on our economy and our quality of life at, at the same time. So it makes sense on, on so many on so many fronts, but it requires um, having that leadership and vision and guidance um, to be able to do that. Real quick, before we let you go, we know you've started a book, so give us a preview. Well, it's, we're talking about the, the generational refining challenges that we're faced. One of the things that I was frustrated when I was in Congress was we didn't always talk about the most important issues of the day, like how do we take advantage of technology before it takes advantage of us? We're in a new Cold War with the, the, communist, the Chinese Communist Party and we, you know, for leadership, global leadership and advanced technology. How do we address that? And I'll be telling stories uh, from my time in, in dangerous places in the CIA boardrooms of businesses and the halls of Congress. So it's been it's been a fun experience. You can take that book with you to Iowa in 2024 and, and New Hampshire and, you know, <laughs> let the people there see it's it before that big presidential you. run. <laughs> You're welcome on the show anytime if you have any announcements to make. Thanks so much, Congressman, for joining us. All right, thank you all. We stick with this story now, turning to a Dallas immigration attorney. Josh Turin says minors who come to the U.S. have a better chance than adults of being allowed to stay. He explains the challenges facing immigrants who cross the border seeking asylum. Thanks so much for being with us. Welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Let's start with this. We've seen thousands of immigrant teens come to Dallas at the K. Bailey Hutchinson Convention Center. What's ahead for them? Well, um... I've been practicing immigration law in, in, mostly in Dallas since uh, 1984. And while I don't as yet know any of these particular kids, I represent quite a number of them, of their, you know, people from Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, who are also young people and their parents in deportation proceedings, which they call removal proceedings now in the immigration courts. And I have quite a number of cases uh, identical to these pending in the courts. I haven't won a single one of them, although most of them are still pending. For the kids, you haven't won a single one? Well, I, I wouldn't say that. Um, with the kids, what we try to do, and we've been very successful with that for the kids, is this. Um, if a child has been brought here and is under 18 years of, of age at the time you go to Texas Family Court, and you can get a guardian to uh, take care of that kid and appear before the court and accept guardianship. That could be a relative, including even one of the parents or a more distant relative, or it could just be a good Samaritan and you get a guardianship order, then that child, as long as they're under 18, can file a petition with the immigration service in Vermont in order to become a juvenile special immigrant. And most of those applications are approved if you can prove abandonment. So you can't do it if the child is here illegally with both parents in the same household, because then you can't prove that one of the parents has actually abandoned the child. But if the, if the, if the child is not living with at least one of the parents, then you can prove that to a Texas family court. And you can, in fact, if the legal work is done 
timely and properly, you can in fact get permanent residence for these kids. But their parents are basically out of luck because yeah. no matter how terrible the persecution they may have experienced in these Central American countries, they've got at best a 1% chance of winning because the law is so stacked against them. You could say for racial reasons or because of their countries of origin, but it's just, it's just, it just boils down to the fact that the law does not give very many of them much hope. So Josh, you've been an immigration lawyer for a, for a long time. Some of the issues you've dealt, you've dealt with have spanned across administrations. What can be done by the current administration and legislative, legislatively in Congress to sort of uh, help with this issue? Well, the simplest thing would be to amend the definition of persecution, which is found in the Immigration and Nationality Act, uh, specifically in Section 101843, which defines it in statute. Um, the way it's defined now, you have to show that the person who's harming you is doing it because of your political opinion or because of your race, religion, national origin, or because you're a member of a particular social group, which is a very twisted phrase that's been twisted out of all, out of all meaning by the, by the administrative courts and by the federal courts. The basic problem is that what typically happens in these countries is that these drug cartels, especially the uh, MS-13, MS-18, these, group, these groups, quasi-govern these countries. They have territories, uh, so to speak, like gangland territories. And they also are so violent and so un unrestrained uh, in those countries that they infiltrate the police, they infiltrate, and they can, even if they're not infiltrating these other institutions, they can basically scare people, the judiciary, police, into not interfering with their activities. So they effectively tax everyone in those countries. They literally come by in gangland style and demand incredible payments of these people such that they often end up having to close their businesses, their lives are ruined and they have to flee. And the, the basic thing to be done in Congress is to amend the definition so that if you're a poor person from this country and you're being persecuted and sometimes often tortured and killed by these cartels, that that, is, that does have a political content, that that is in fact persecution because these people are in fact refugees. They're not here to better because it's convenient for them. They've suffered a great deal to get here and usually spent their last dollar to get here to smugglers. Uh, and so, the law needs to simply take cognizance of that. Let me give you an example. Under the Trump administration, there had previously been a decision by the Board of Immigration Appeals called Matter of ARCG, if I've got those initials right. And what it said was that a female uh, who had been very, very seriously persecuted uh, by her um, a significant other uh, and physically persecuted could seek asylum in the United States. And the Trump administration published an administrative decision uh, overruling that in order to prevent any females, no matter how badly they may have been physically mistreated in Guatemala or Honduras from being able to qualify for asylum. And those are the kind of things that need to stop. 
So do you think that Congress, I mean, we've seen this for administration after administration saying we need immigration reform. Are you hopeful this time? Are you hopeful in 2021 anything will be different? Yes. Not because I think that there's going to be a successful uh, amendment to the Immigration Nationality Act, which was last amended in any significant manner in 1996. And most of that was to make it more draconian and more enforcement oriented, uh, greatly upping the penalties for immigration violations. Um, the reason that I'm hopeful is not because I think there's any chance that the law will change, except for the dreamers and except for some Central Americans who've been under temporary protected status since the very early 1990s. With the exception of those two particular groups, I don't have any hope that there will be enough, uh, enough bipartisan support for comprehensive immigration reform. However, what the Trump Justice Department can do is overrule all the Trump era precedents that have tried to make it essentially impossible for any of these people to, to successfully win an asylum case. And that, there's a great chance, will happen. You've talked about some, some technical issues that will help uh, you know, changing wording uh, in, in the law. A lot of your clients are often used as, as pawns or characters in a political debate. How do you get the American people to realize that what you just told us on this podcast, that these folks are suffering, that, that this is not a, a whim journey, that the, this is of last resort, they're trying to save themselves. Well, for example, our governor a couple of days ago made a couple of statements that are, that are remarkable for being only partly true. I would say that they're about 25% true. He said correctly that um, the human traffickers are to blame for much of what's going on and that we need to do whatever we can to stop them. And the, the theory of his, of, of his argument is that if you stop the human trafficking, well, these people just largely won't come up here. And the second thing that he said is that some of these people might be carrying contraband, uh, such as drugs or what have you, even if they're not even aware of it because they might be used as mules. And I've actually seen cases of that. Although I don't think it's common, but I, I, I do know that it's happened. So those statements that he made are absolutely true. But the problem is that he completely leaves out of account the reason that these people are doing this, any reasonable person who thinks about this, you have a person in, say, Honduras, who's living a, a, a peaceful, tranquil life, and then all of a sudden a couple of family members are killed, and the gangs start to extort every last dollar from whatever meager living that these people make, such that it is no longer possible to survive. And I have seen cases, for example, I have a client in whose case I lost who was a nurse who would ride a motorcycle. She had a very good job uh, in Honduras and she would ride a motorcycle to uh, do, you know, uh, to her job as a nurse and did a lot of tremendous public service and was very invested in her career down there. But she was, uh, she was sexually assaulted. She was uh, stabbed uh, and she was on a bridge by a group of these, of the, of these thugs. Uh, and she only survived because some of the people who witnessed this intervened enough that the people became frightened enough to run away before she died. And, and, and her husband was taken outside of a church where he, was in, where he was a pastor. And he was brutally beaten such that he now has permanent 
mental um, you know, problems, headaches and, 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 and depression as a result of being beaten beat in the head by these guys for a long time outside of his church. And the reason that happened was because he was teaching the young people, people, the kids in his community, not to join the gangs. So that's why the gangs were punished him in that way. So both of these people fled here. So that's a that's a, a just a perfect example of the kinds of vicious violence that these people are fleeing, and their young children. In this case, I think the kid was when they fled was three years old. They're taking their three-year-old and themselves and going on this long trek through Mexico, where they're subject to being pillaged by people in Mexico that are that are you know unscrupulous and looking to take advantage of people, uh, and that anybody that would would put themselves through that kind of human misery, really kind of like the trail of tears to draw historical analogy voluntarily because they just want to get in here at any cost. It's just not really looking at the human realities, intentionally closing their eyes to the situation. And you lost that case. Oh yes, I lost it. And the judge in that case, who's a very good judge, by the way, a very fine man, found that my clients were credible. And he did not doubt for a minute that the stories that they were telling of these terrible things that happened to them were true. But he ruled against them because he said, well, that's not a political opinion. In other words, it's not a political opinion for you to say, you know, I don't think that my country should be ruled by MS-13 or that they're not a member of a particular social group because, well, everybody's getting beat up and raped and killed. So you're not distinguishable from anybody else. Or... It's not an exercise of your religious freedom that you were a pastor in a church and that you were dragged out of that church and beaten within an inch of your life because it wasn't the church doctrine that these gang members were beating you up for. It was the fact that you used your church to preach to young people that they shouldn't join these gangs. And this was a reprisal for that. And that that's not really anything having to do with religion. It's just that they are protecting their territory and trying to make sure they can recruit these kids into the gangs without opposition from the citizenry. So on all three theories that they have a political opinion because they're too poor and too brown to have one apparently, or that the man was exercising his religious beliefs to stand up to these gangs, didn't matter. And so on legal grounds, he ruled against them and the Board of Immigration Appeals a few months ago dismissed my appeal. So they're, did they get to, are they back in Mexico? No, they have not been, they're not from Mexico. Uh, They are, I think they're from El Salvador uh, or they could be from Guatemala. I'm, 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 I got that mixed up in my mind at the moment, but the point is no, they have not been deported yet to my knowledge. However, they've stopped contacting me since I lost their case because there's nothing more I can do for them. They're just in limbo then waiting to, for deportation or. Right. They're in limbo as are many of these folks. And um, it's just a matter of whether they get, when and when, you know, when they get deported. Josh, I'm sure these are hard stories to recount. They're certainly difficult to hear. And we appreciate you taking your time to be with us today. Oh, you're welcome. We'll have much more on immigration as the story develops on NBC5 and NBCDFW.com. Finally, we turn to COVID-19 relief, specifically the bill signed by President Joe Biden on March 11th. Many Americans have already received their $1,400 stimulus checks, but there's much more to the bill than that. 
U.S. Secretary of Commerce Gina Raimondo explains to Julie how the relief packages will help businesses. Secretary, thanks so much for being with us. I'm very happy to be here. Let's begin now with the Recovery Act. A lot of Texans have struggled, especially small businesses. How will this help? As you say, millions of Texans tell us that they're struggling to pay the bills, struggling to pay their rent. This is immediate money into their pockets, which will help them to pay the bills, pay their rent. It is uh, money into the bank accounts of small businesses. You know, since the pandemic began, almost a half a million small businesses in America have gone out of business. And so we have to be there for them. And the American Rescue Plan goes directly at those who have been most hit, small businesses, families. Uh, by the way, it's going to help get all the kids back to school, keep the teachers safe, and most important, get everybody vaccinated as quickly as possible. Back when PPP began, a lot of questions from people, I can't seem to get these loans. There was frustration on how to go about doing this. When you talk about actually getting money in people's pockets, how do they get it quickly? So uh, first of all, some people have already started to receive checks. So in this package, it's direct money into people's bank accounts, uh, which has already started this past weekend and will continue in the coming weeks and months. For small businesses, uh, we learned from the PPP and the issues that you identified. And so President Biden uh, is, has very clearly said it's going to go out directly to small businesses and there are going to be people in every community. So on the ground in the Dallas area, uh, working with small businesses to access this money through the SBA. Also with the PPP, we did see last time around, a lot of people were frustrated, small business owners, when they saw large businesses getting chunks of money. How will that be handled this time around? Yeah, so excellent point. By the way, I was a governor of Rhode Island until a few weeks ago, and we saw that in our state as well. So again, the president was clear about that. And this package, it's specifically for the smallest businesses and going into communities and uh, community partners on the ground, making sure it's directed to the smallest businesses. Most Americans work in a small business. They work in a business that's 20 or fewer people, and that's you know, where we wanna direct this money. And you talked a little bit about schools. Here in Texas, many students are already back in school, but how does it help here specifically? Well, first of all, is there's money available for vaccinations, uh, which is so important for everyone to feel safe, teachers, parents, students. But secondly, uh, you know, there's still been a lot of learning loss. Kids have been behind. I know it as a mother, and, and uh, I know every parent out there can, can see it in their kids. So this is money uh, not only for vaccines and not only to make schools safer with infrastructure, but also to help kids who've been falling behind so that we can catch them up. You know, we owe it to every child to get them back up to where they would have been if it weren't for COVID. And so there's a lot of money in this package to do just that, tutoring, summer programs, extra help to, you know, to be there for the children who make sure nobody's left behind. When you look at this package, there's so many articles about it. There's so much 
information. What is something you want to point out that you're not sure people know they will have available to them? I just, the number one thing, of course, that I care about and I'm focused on is getting Americans back to work. There's still 10 million Americans out of work, many Texans still out of work. There's a lot of money in this package to get you back to work, particular emphasis on tourism and travel. So if you're out there and you're hearing me and you're out of work and you were in um, you know, a hotel or B&B or travel related industry, there's money for that. There's specific money for theaters, movie theaters, venues of assembly, which have been crushed. They've been closed for a year. If you're hearing me and you lost your job at you know, the movie theater or the local theater, you know, there's relief for you. If you are in a very small business, there's relief for you. So I guess what I said, what I would say is uh, we want to get Americans back to work and we are focused on those, the 10 million who are still out of work um, to make sure everybody's, you know, can stand back up again. So for those watching who say, okay, I need to know where to go to apply for this funding, you know, not the direct checks, but to apply for the funding for the movie theater, for the live music venue, where do they go? So as I said, the SBA, Small Business Administration, is responsible for um, a lot of the small business initiatives. Uh, the state of Texas uh, and your city will be providing um, much of the direct loans. Um, and then the Commerce Department, uh, um, we're going to be out there as well. But I would say if you're just sitting at home and wondering where to go, uh, city, or state, or the SBA. Thanks to former Congressman Will Hurd, Josh Turin, and Secretary Gina Raimondo for joining us this week. Before we go, please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe to the Lone Star Politics podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your audio content. Stay up to date on everything related to Texas politics at NBCDFW.com slash Lone Star Politics, and we'll talk to you next week.